We always mention, look out for your tribe. You're not doing this for yourself. You're working for the good of the whole, the entire community. We don't want it to be as rigid as we're just here for a financial transaction because we are mission oriented. But at the same time, we do want to make sure that everyone understands we're not here just to lazy around and do nothing. Everyone has to build to make sure the tribe is going forward. You can go alone and go far, or you can go together. For me, working with Ola Doshu and working with Yao and our other co-founders was a saving grace because at any point when I was alone trying to start my business, if I felt weak, if I felt like I couldn't do it, no one was there to grab my hand and say, come on, we're moving, right? We're not stopping. That's Ola Doshu, Teibo, and Maisha. Luster. They're the co-founders of Analog Teams, with a team of PMs, developers, and designers from the U.S., Europe, Kenya, Ghana, South Africa, and Nigeria. Analog Teams works with digital business to build transformative software products. In this episode, we talk about having an epiphany while on a cashew farm, writing a book to cope with imposter syndrome, and traveling through Africa. I'm Maureen Taylor, and this is Think Like a Founder. Oladoshu, let's start with you. Now, you knew that you were going to be a founder from a very young age. You were brainstorming company ideas as a high school student, and you pivoted to the tech industry after graduating. How did having business owners and entrepreneurs in your family shape your mindset early on? For me... What it did was normalize the idea of ownership and owning your own career, your own path. It was something that I was always doing. I was always trying different businesses. I thought it was normal. I thought it was just something you do is try to start a business. So when I actually started my career, it was just natural for me to look for an outlet to create a business in the field that I was in. So having the example, and that's really interesting that it seems like it was a normal thing to do. When you were a kid listening to family members in it, were they happy? Thinking back, it was definitely very stressful for them to have a business, a lot of ups and downs. So a lot of struggles with finances and just day to day trying to keep the business afloat. I know how stressful that is. And that can either inspire people or can say, Last thing I want is that kind of pressure. But for you, it was something that seemed normal. Yeah, just the ability to to wake up every morning and kind of decide what you're going to tackle that day. Being able to have that freedom, I want to travel today or whatever the case may be, I think goes hand in hand with the stress, but then it's like the payoff, definitely the payoff. And just a follow up to that too, it was it your family or was it you that gravitated towards technology? I gravitated towards technology. So my sister is in fashion. She works for the Curring Group. So they own Balenciaga, YSL, et cetera. And my brother is actually a farmer. So I kind of found my own niche in tech. Maisha, you were moving from a small company of 100 to a very large company of 100,000. And that's when you realized that, uh uh-uh, that might not be for me. And that maybe you had an itch that you wanted to scratch. What was that about? Yeah, I always had a desire to be a business owner. 
However, I didn't think that I could do it. I wanted to do it, but I didn't believe enough in myself that I could accomplish this huge task of owning a business, leading an organization or a company. When I moved from this smaller size company and I took a position in a company that honestly, it made my heart beat, right? I was nervous and I was scared. I thought I'm going to go into this company and they're going to say, where did you get this girl from? Why is she here? She knows nothing. And I started in my first day, they said, can you run a meeting? And I did, and I did well. And by the end of the week, I had the team coming to me and saying, wow, we've been on this project for two years and you have made things so much more clear for us in a week. That ability to be an entrepreneur, the belief in myself in that moment, in that week, I proved to myself that I could do it. You raised an interesting point because entrepreneur, employee, founder, it really doesn't matter. That imposter syndrome is a pretty severe case of insecurity. Not only is it doubting yourself, but that whole idea of being found out, probably the creepiest feeling that you can have. What is it that (laughs) that got you to just say, okay, it really, because it doesn't matter what they think, it more matters what you do. How did you cross that? starting line to get there. So at the end of the week, you were accomplishing something not only for the company and for the cause, but also realizing that you can do that. It was my decision to, instead of focusing on what I thought were my inabilities or focusing on they're going to find me out, I said to myself, what can you do? Literally put all of your energy and focus on what you know you can do. I can read over the things that they've provided to me. I can start asking questions. I can book meetings with people to get more insight. And by doing those things and focusing on what can you do, it allowed me to actually start to piece everything together and realize, you know what you're doing. (laughs) You got this. (laughs) What are you doing? I just focused on what I could do. And I just did that to the best of my ability. It always makes me laugh when I hear Maisha talk about imposter syndrome because she was directly responsible for me, like getting over a large part of my imposter syndrome, Um, even running the company at Analog, just the days where I'm like, I don't know if I'm supposed to run this company. (laughs) I'm I'm over it, right? And um, her talking me back into the game and I wouldn't be in this position without uh, someone being able to just gather me when those, those times are needed. That's really cool. And that's great advice for anybody listening that might suffer from imposter syndrome. Start there, spend the energy on that, because often you will find that it propels you into a place where you gain momentum and you're spending more time solving a problem than you are worrying about what other people are thinking or you know, self-doubt. So the energy is going into productivity. So let's go back. I just, cause I want to find out Oladoshu, when you talk about uh, technology how you went from art and farming to technology. And then let's start talking about some of the things that you guys have been doing together. Going into my background, most of the people in my family are entrepreneurs. So before I even went out, when I was actually working with Maisha at uh, General Dynamics IT, my brother was already working on his farm plan. And I remember coming into his room and there were just like, 
pictures on the wall of farms. He's like, yeah, I'm going to have my greenhouse hair and here's where I'm going to keep the stable. And I thought he was nuts. I was like, what are you doing? Fast forward three years and we're literally on his farm in Nigeria. I remember we were going through a tough time at Analog and my brother and I were standing on a hill and I looked out and I couldn't believe it. He's literally got greenhouses and stables and cows and chickens and just seeing the evolution of thought, ideas, and then it coming into reality. It's like my favorite thing to do is to go out there and dig in the dirt and build and plant. It's a cashew farm. So we plant cashew, uh, mangoes, avocados, et cetera. So, and I said, if you can do all of this in the physical world, I can do this virtually. (laughs) So I went back to my computer that night and I said, all right, it's time to work. Then my sister being in fashion, she's always presented herself in an interesting way. She was always in these high level rooms and having been one of the only black women, just understanding how to present yourself, how to walk and talk in a room and also get rid of that imposter syndrome as far as what do you do very well? Why are you here? And then presenting yourself from that directive. I myself had to find my own outfit, right? I didn't want to follow directly in their sense, but I wanted to make sure that what I did was equally as impressive. So just trying to find my way into technology. I've always been a nerd, always loved computers since I was a kid. So it was it was almost the right direction. There's a loneliness to being a founder and a leader of a company, but to have have that camaraderie to be able to help each other is really cool. The idea for Analog came out of a discussion around which you and one of the other co-founders wanted to accomplish in Africa within 20 years. You had both completed trips to Africa and you were blown away by the talent of people you saw there and decided to start this immediately. What challenges did you face in the early days? We had planned 20 years in the future, as you mentioned, that we would go to Africa at the end of our careers and start this big company and all of these different lofty ideas. But once we found that the talent was already there, the opportunity was already there, we didn't know where to begin. And actually what we decided to do was just build a team. And my co-founder and I, Yao Adantor, we brought on Maisha right at the beginning. We always say that we weren't able to get anything done until she joined the team and actually helped us get through projects. We brought in a CTO, uh, Roger Andley, and a CFO, Christy Santi, over a six-month period. The five of us spent about a year, year and a half almost two years, honestly, just planning what we wanted to do, going to the different countries, meeting individuals. We went to Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, South Africa, um, Ethiopia, Togo. And from there, actually making those connections over a period of time when we were ready and had everything planned out. But the early days was just figuring out what brick do you lay first and how do you get there? And also you talk about failure, not everything works. And that's That's something that I do think founders uniquely can talk about is the failures that happen and how you get through that. Failure is just another door that has to be open when it's closed and locked in front of you. So let's go to Maisha. Do you look at it that way? I believe in that wholeheartedly because I've seen the opposite of failure, and that is not trying. I have people close to me that I know that says, I could have, I should have these statements that indicate they never even made an attempt. To me, not making an attempt is far worse than failing 
because normally when you attempt, if you do fail, it allows you to, for me, gain enough confidence to say, I'll do it again. Maybe this time I'll do it differently. So I absolutely love failure in a sense of I'm happy that I tried. I don't want to be in the category of those people who said I could have, I should have, I would have, and they never even took a step forward. And you even wrote a book about it. Dear Ghetto Mind, colon, this is your red pill. I love it. Absolutely. That book for me was really notes from part of my journey of analyzing myself mentally. The imposter syndrome, the I'm not good enough, all of those I had to look inside of myself and go, well, why do you feel this way? Why don't other people feel this way? And I started down this journey of just literally reading, watching anything that I could about mental health, about how do you get out of this idea that gravitating towards the negative aspects of anything, how do you get out of that cycle? And it led me to the root cause was the environment that I grew up in. I grew up in an environment where it is much easier to expect a negative outcome, much easier. As a matter of fact, we talk about the negative outcomes way more than we do positive ones. Positive outcomes are abnormal. Things going well is abnormal. So this book for me is more of like my thoughts, more about the things that I learned on this journey of reading and watching and consuming as much information about how do I get out of this negative mindset. And it resulted in a book, Dear Get a Mind. Oladushu, I see what you mean. This is a really great person to have on the team. And also, aside from the people and building the team, um, you visited Africa so many times living in Kenya and Nigeria for year-long periods. And a global team is very important to you. Tell us about that. Yeah. Our mission at Analog Teams is to cultivate and advance people and their talents with the mindset that great minds and great individuals exist everywhere. The barrier to entry initially was proximity. But now with everyone being online, the barrier is only our mindsets and opportunity. And so analog main mantra is providing opportunity. So being able to have a footprint in seven different countries, being able to watch and explore our footprint grow is the most important thing to our entire company. That's inspirational. Also, you have five co-founders and three of them are still with the company. And that is very important to the culture. You call it a tribe. I call it a tribe too. Tribe is different than business. You can be a tribe that does business, but what do you mean by tribe? I'm actually very particular on how I relate to people. I can be friendly, but I always like to draw the line that we are not friends, we're business partners. And I always make sure we don't use the word family because I can't fire my brother. I can never break that tie. But in a business, it's all about business trust and what we do and what we accomplish and outputs together. The idea of a tribe is that you know there are different factions of a tribe, but there's usually one central law and idea that guides everyone. We're here because even though we might be different in different pockets, 
we have one cultural goal. And the beauty of the tribe and what I always say to people, wherever you go, where you'll meet someone from analog, you will experience the same handshake of love and connection and growth. And it's actually very true. You go to Kenya or you go to Nigeria, you go to South Africa, you meet my co-founders and I here in the States, you will literally feel like you have met the same people in multiple places in the world. And it's a beautiful thing. So it's something that we try to maintain. We always mention, look out for your tribe. You're not doing this for yourself. You're working for the good of the whole, the entire community. We don't want it to be as rigid as we're just here for a financial transaction because we are mission oriented. But at the same time, we do want to make sure that everyone understands we're not here just to lazy around and do nothing. Everyone has to build to make sure the tribe is going forward. That is beautiful. Your recruiting must be pretty cool too, because to find that out, it sounds so wonderful and it's very attractive to folks. To actually live it is a different kind of commitment. We spend an awful lot of time working. So to be with people that there is a certain amount of trust and there is a mission driven and it is respectful. It's definitely not for everyone. And we always make sure that because we consider ourselves not only the smartest working, but the hardest working people in the industry. So anybody in the company would tell you that if you're unable to keep up with the passion, the level of accountability and the consistency of just always performing at a high level, that's who gets spotted out. We love people who shine bright and we, we shine really bright, but the ones that are dim lights really get spotted because you're actually the minority. The majority are people who are really just passionate about what they do, really excited, wake up every day. They're calling me at two in the morning, their time. I'm calling them at two in the morning, my time. We're always on and it's not forced. It's just that really love for the mission and what we're trying to accomplish. Also, Maisha, you've reached out a number of times in your career to work together in this tribe, but what you've called the single soldier mentally that kept you from taking him on, and now you describe having co-founders together as a saving grace. So what happened? What was the transition and how did that bridge come about? A lot of this goes back to upbringing. I have to be this strong, independent Black woman that does it by herself alone. And what I learned by working with my co-founders is that that was actually the opposite, <laughs> is that it actually takes more strength to build with others because you now are sharing ideas, sharing opinions, your thoughts and ideas might even be swayed in a different direction than you intended. You compromise, right? But that saying of you can go alone and go far, or you can go together. For me, working with Ola Doshu and working with Yao and our other co-founders was a saving grace because at any point, when I was alone trying to start my business, if I felt weak, if I felt like I couldn't do it, no one was there to grab my hand and say, come on, we're moving, right? We're not stopping. I only had myself. If I decided that it wasn't working, that was it. There was no one else there that would counteract that, that would say to me, what are you saying? No, we're still moving. We're still going. It's so easy to give up when things don't go as you thought they would, 
if you don't land the contract you thought you would, if the money doesn't come in the way that you hoped it would. It's so easy to say, let me stop this and let me go get me a regular job. But when you have co-founders, what I've found is that we're always supporting each other. We're holding this big rock together and carrying this big rock together is literally when I say saving grace and finding the strength and working with other people has been the biggest blessing for me. That's more than an experience because to go from more on the pessimistic side to, yes, I am going to put the energy in and then to being able to connect with other people and have some semblance of trust. That's a huge journey. Trust is a hard one, especially after you've maybe had not the best experiences every now and then. It's great when you find people that you can trust. I let trust win. Let trust win. When it's worthy. I could talk to you for hours. Think about my 12-year-old that this is dedicated to, that has this itch wherever they are on the globe. What is the best advice you ever got? And what advice do you give to this kid? The best advice for me that has worked and the advice that I also give out is if you keep going, you have to win. It's so many people that say it's not working yet. It's not working yet. I'm going to stop here. Just keep going. Yes, you might bend a little bit. Maybe you change something here. Maybe you do something different, but never, ever stop. It's inevitable, in my experience, it's inevitable for you not to reach a level of personal success. It's inevitable if you just keep going. And that, for me, has been the game changer that I know. Stay on this path. What brings you joy? Stay with what ignites your passion and keep going. Just literally keep going. Don't worry about what anyone is saying, good, bad, or indifferent. Just keep going. You will reach the level, a level of success that feels good to you. You will get to a new starting line. You will win in the eyes of you winning. If you say you're a CEO, whatever room you walk into, they're going to treat you as such. So remember that no matter how young you are, no matter how inexperienced you are, you will be treated as what you said you are treated as. So walk in that and stand in that. Make sure you have everything you need to be prepared. I think I've always walked with that mindset of, okay, as a young CEO with people who are older than me that work for me, I am the role. I've got to live it. That to me is the best advice. But as far as advice I would give to dream big, extremely big, and match it with the hustle. Work harder than your dream. Dream to go to the moon, to Mars, but work extremely hard from today. You want to be a violinist? That's absolutely fine. But work your hardest towards it. You know, play every day in the middle of the night. Wake up and play and don't do what everyone else is doing. If your goals are bigger, if your dreams are bigger, you can't live a life that everyone else lived. You have to live differently. So put yourself in the best position possible by outworking. Talent is great, but outworking everyone else is what's going to take you there in the real world. Just dream big and be passionate and work endlessly. That was Oladoshu, Teibo, and Maisha Luster, both co-founders of Analog Teams 
With 20 plus years of leadership experience, Analog Teams works with founders for the long haul, helping build and improve their products from the starting vision to customer use. To learn more, you can visit analogteams.com. I'm Maureen Taylor. Thanks for listening. Series producer is Mike Sullivan. Sound design by Mark Reed. Content and scripting by Jacelyn Drown and Catherine Hardy. Production coordinator is Natasha Thomas. Thanks also to Selena Persiani-Shell, John Hughes, and Ren Barrett.